You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. Ian, look at this. What, it's a police box. What on earth are you doing here? I mean, these things are usually on the street. I feel it. I feel it, you feel it? Vibration. It's alive. Earth Station Who, a fun mashup celebrating nearly 50 years of the Doctor Who universe. Hold tight. You never know where the TARDIS is going next. You're probably a bit confused right now. I broke the glass. It's all come back to me. This. What is this? That's my ship. What? Let me take it from the top. Hello. I'm the doctor. I'm a traveler in space and time. And that thing buried down there is called a TARDIS. Time and relative dimension in space. You're gonna love this. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station Who podcast. This episode is going to be a little different than our normal ones and wanted to let you guys know about that. Uh, we are doing this episode, Little Known Facts About Doctor Who. So we had a panel at DragonCon 2020 uh, featuring myself, Mike, Mary, and a few other friends and where we're talking about facts about Doctor Who. And it was shown actually on DragonCon TV at five in the morning. So not many people were up to watch it. So we thought it'd be kind of nice to actually share it with our friends and such as an episode of Earth Station Who. Uh, before we go forward with this, wanted to give a big thanks out to the folks at DragonCon for inviting Earth Station Who to be part of it. And a huge, huge thank you to Caro and her crew for including the, Mike, myself, and Mary as part of the Brit tracks of DragonCon. Um, hopefully you guys will enjoy. If you want to leave any feedback or anything on us, of course, we'd love to hear from you at feedback at earthstationwho.com. And, you know, enjoy. Let us know what you guys thought. Have fun. Hi, Dragon. I'm Carol from the Brit Track, the Brit Track director. And with me today, I have my assistant director, Robin the Hat. Say hi to the Hello. I also have um, with us some wonderful faces that are familiar from our various DragonCon years. We've got uh, Mike from Earth Station Hill. Howdy. How's everybody going tonight? Pretty good. We also have Mary from Earth Station Hill. Hi, Mary. Hi, everybody. We also have Howdy, Mike. Who's Howdy. Not- yep, who's not the other Mike. <laughs> no. It always gets confusing. Don't confuse right. them. And then from uh, the host of the 42 cast, we have Nathan. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Awesome. So today we are doing a um, panel on what you did not know about Doctor Who. 
So factoids and all the wonderful things that go with it. And we're going to discuss that today. So we're super excited. Um, I am uh, not going to be moderating. I'm actually going to be participating in the panel. And I've got our wonderful Earth Station Who director, Mike Faber, is going to take it over. As far Thank as you. Thank you, Carol. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. And this is awesome. Dragon Con. We are here, folks. Technically, virtually. But we are here for Dragon Con. And we are going to talk all about little factoids that people might not have known about Doctor Who. So we got a great panel here. We got a great crew. And so there's going to be six of us. So we don't know how this is actually going to go. So bear with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be really interesting. And you know what? I'm going to just, let's just jump in with both feet. I'm going to let Nathan pick the first factoid that, you know, what don't we know about Doctor Who? Okay. So, um, Everybody knows that the doctor regenerates, right? But the uh, originally, that's not what they were going to do. So um, William Hartnell, the original doctor, uh, was um, having dif- or the producer John Wiles at the time was having difficulties with William Hartnell, and so he had this idea that they had this story coming up called the Celestial Toymaker, and that the toy maker was this omnipotent being who, during the course of the story, was going to make the doctor invisible. And also take away his uh, voice. And when he reappeared, it was going to be a completely different actor. And that was going to be a joke that the toy maker played on him that would then carry through the rest of the show. Uh, now, William Hartnell, uh, of course, got very angry about this and went above uh, Wild Head. And that's, uh, he got replaced with Ennis Lloyd, which is why this didn't happen, uh, which is probably a good thing because if they had used that as the MacGuffin to replace the actor, that's something that they couldn't have sustained for, you know, 50 something years. So, um, yeah, so, uh, that's a, a, a near miss there. Uh, that's a, uh, so yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good one to start out with. I did not know that. Yeah, that's I had pre- no idea. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. But it was kind of, you know, it was interesting with, you know, how they did the regeneration. They didn't even call it a regeneration right. until much, much later. So that's pretty awesome that, you know, they were thinking about, let's just change them by the toy maker. And boom, they did that later also with Jamie when he was out mm-hmm. sick in the second t- Doctor era. They had another yeah. actor play him while I think uh, Frazier had chicken pox. Measles. Measles. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting to see what, you know, that they tried doing that a little bit and then brought Frazier back, of course. So Mm -hmm. very interesting that they did that. Cool. That's a great opening. Let's go with Mary next. What do you got for us? I have Nathan's favorite doctor, the third doctor. Okay. Uh, During the third doctor's era, there is a plan to reveal the master as the doctor's brother. Oh, I had that one. That was oh, I had that one too. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> and then the master would sacrifice his life for mm-hmm. the doctor and end his run. However, Roger Delgado tragically Delgado tragically died mm-hmm. uh, in a car crash before that could be filmed. Um, and this came up again in a story with the fifth doctor um, called Planet of Fire where the master was supposed to be killed off and was supposed to beg the doctor to have mercy for his own brother. Um, and John Nathan Turner, the showrunner at the time, anticipated a lot of fan backlash from that one, and so they cut it out of the script. But I thought that was fascinating because everyone's always debating 
who the master is and what he is to the doctor. And we almost had canon. Did you, do you guys have any theory if there is a relationship between the two of them, you know, other than schoolmates like they've talked about? I just like them being people who met at school that had a friendship for a while and then broke up because, you know, they didn't, their, their goals weren't similar and, and whatnot. I, I don't like the whole like, oh, it's his secret brother or whatever. I've never liked that. I, I'm kind of, I don't like that Roger Delgado passed in such a tragic way, but I'm kind of glad that we didn't have that story. My secret theory is that they were married, so it's okay. <laughs> I was going to say that. I did. You think you think they dated? Oh, that's yeah. even better. Yeah, I could see that kind of anger with somebody you dated before. I've had that. I do understand. Yeah, I think we can all relate. <laughs> no, very it's, much. It's, it's funny that uh, we mentioned the the doctor's secret brother because that theory was brought up in the season three two part finale when the doctor Jack and Martha were on the run. And the doctor's explaining how Gallifrey came up with the master. And I think it was Jack who said, oh, I thought you were going to reveal that he was your secret brother. And... <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I remember that. That's cool. That's so cool. That's a great, great one, Mary. All right. Carol, what do you got? So um, I didn't know this, that uh, the doctor didn't become or was called a Time Lord until 1969. So the show had been on for a minute and it wasn't until uh, the sixth season episode of the war games that the term, the time Lord was used and then they ran with it. So I, I didn't know that. I thought he was a time Lord from, you know, unearthly child, but apparently, apparently not. They didn't use that term until way later. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, they, it's interesting. War games actually set a whole, set of what you know doctor who lore became because they had never really talked about the name of the planet they never talked about you know you know like you said time lord or the race that he came from and it was just really interesting and that actually even leads into one of my factoids that a lot of people don't know that at the end of war games that you didn't see the doctor regenerate you just saw the doctor disappear with all those faces around him and everything. The reason they did that is they didn't know if Doctor Who was coming back yet. And they had not hired John Pertwee as the new doctor at that point. And mm -hmm. so, so basically they wanted to leave it that, you know, if for some reason Doctor Who was canceled right then, that the doctor was out there still. He could be anybody. He could be any face on the street that you could see is that the doctor it's pretty it's an interesting thought so that was my factoid my first one already i snuck that in with Karis. that's pretty <laughs> awesome nice that's cool mr mike gordon what do you got well the one thing that's always uh fascinated me uh and it's been consistent over the time of the doctor has been uh the tardis and uh, the TARDIS, of course, is a police box, which when I first saw Doctor Who, I probably didn't know what that was because I'm an American and we don't have police boxes. <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have police boxes in in uh, Massachusetts. So I don't know <laughs> if there are any uh, police boxes still left in Britain. There are. Um, which is cool. Are they still blue? Yes. Yeah. 
You could you could actually go on Google Earth. You could find there's a police box, and you could actually go into it, and it becomes the TARDIS inside. Oh wow! Yeah, the, uh, the uh, the reason why I, I kind of mention it now is because uh, you know outside of Britain, like I said, you wouldn't know what a police box was. So the fact that the doctor was supposed to be uh, inconspicuous. Uh, and in this blue box always puzzled me because, uh, you know, like, how does that work? Like, I know I don't if if he would show up in my backyard, I would wonder what that was, let alone like on a different planet and in history. But I guess uh, uh, in New Who, they explain it because the TARDIS generates a perception filter uh, that reinforces the idea that it's just ordinary for it to be there. So so that's the explanation that uh, they finally came up with. And I think around 2007, when Doctor Who came back, as to why a police box doesn't look out of the ordinary. No, that's totally awesome. I did not know that at all. That's, I've always wondered, you know, people would say, what is a strange box here? You know, and it's just like, you know, it's a chameleon it. circuit that just didn't work, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it's as reliable as the perception filter he has around, like, well, the psychic paper, for example. Uh, but uh, I would hope it's a little bit more reliable than that. Yeah, that one only seems to work part of the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that one only seems to work when the plot allows it to work. Right. But I also find it odd, too. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys can talk about this, too. But as far as the TARDIS goes, it seems like it would be very dense and hard to move. And yet it seems like, especially in Classic Who, it's moved around all the time. So I yeah. guess... Uh, sorry. I guess it, it's it's... It's the fact that it's uh, the size that it is, is, is it applies to the weight as well, correct? Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's never said on the show, but it seems that that's the case, that it must weigh the same as a police box would weigh. The reason that's it doesn't weigh anymore, the reason it doesn't weigh anymore is because most of it is in another dimension. Ah. So when they're, when, they're, when they're moving the TARDIS, they're only moving the outer plasma shell. That makes sense. So, makes so basically, sense. Clara and me has a giant, giant diner flying, you know, and it takes up all the space and weight of the diner. Yep. So, wow. i going to be able to put okay. that in a Concord. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, we also know, of course, you know, it's explained in New Who that, uh, you know, he leaves the parking brake on. That's why he makes a noise. Well, um, all the other TARDISes. Yeah, well, that's, I guess they're all broken, too. Um, and that the chameleon circuit is broken. That's why you can't change it to, uh, anything else. Uh, although I kind of wonder if that's more of the TARDIS's idea than it's actually something that's physically broken. Um, or that the doctor just likes the shape. (laughs) And so never bothers to fix it. Um, but I wondered, and I couldn't find this out. So, uh, you guys uh, have to let me know, but I was wondering if the, if there's any examples of the doctor's TARDIS actually being fixed and, and changing in anything. Yes. Because I think, I think there was one time now, is there one time where it's like, it's, it's a pipe organ? Is that right? Yes. Colin Baker's era. Yes. And you remember in Logopolis, he was trying to fix the chameleon circuit. And that's that was, true. Because him and Adric were doing all the measuring of all the different right. angles and such <laughs> of the TARDIS. Do you know that the BBC owns the rights to the police box? I didn't know that. The, the we found that out it. the hard way. Yes, we did. We did. We did find that out the hard way. Uh, literally. Uh, but yes, uh, 
back in the 60s, BBC decided to license the, sh- the police box. And they found, and the British police were like, no, that's ours. You know, we've had that for almost 100 years. And they, were, they never registered it. Cause, and the courts actually said that BBC gets the, the rights to it because technically the police box was not designed in Britain. And so the British police didn't have the rights to it. And so that's why the BBC got that. And that's why we had a, uh, basically a stop and, you know, don't put these on T-shirts anymore. Because we, we, the original Earth Station Who logo actually had the, TARDIS, the actual TARDIS on it with a scarf coming out of it. And we basically were told by BBC, no, you can't do that unless you want to pay us rates. It's like, well, we found out the hard way. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Okay, Rob, go ahead. All right. Uh, In the 80s, there was a company uh, that called it uh, Nervala. They made uh, Care Bears at an Inspector Gadget, and they did the uh, animated sequences for the Star Wars holiday special. Well, they were in uh, talks with CBS to make a Doctor Who cartoon for America. Uh, wow. It didn't. It didn't wow. get very far, but they came, had, came out with some pretty amazing artwork. It's a kind of an amalgamation of the different doctors, but uh, he's wearing a big floppy hat, a long coat, and a scarf, and has a flying canine. So, well, okay. Yes, that's crazy. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. I did not know that. That would. I wonder how that would have done here in the states. It probably would have done really well. You know, probably. especially you know, and it would have introduced a whole new generation to Doctor Who, because in the eighties, all it was on was PBS in the states at the time. Mm-hmm. So, so it was God, just eighties. The eighties art style, like, con- like it was pretty cool. So that would have been really neat to see that. Yeah, people would have said it was uh, take uh, or um, plagiarizing Bill and Ted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine though the shared universe we'd have now? Doctor Who, Inspector Gadget, Care Bears, and the animated Boba Fett. Wow! <laughs> I would watch that. That would, watch been, that. that would have been awesome. You know, come on, singing Boba Fett was just the best. Come on, yeah, you gotta right. love that. All right, All right, we made it through our first round. Okay, Caro, you got your next one. Um, so there's this big debate on whether or not the doctor is actually a, really a doctor and whether or not in the show, um, he confirms that he's a medical doctor of some kind. And during Patrick Troughton's era, he said yes in the season four episode, the moon base. Um, and the, the Polly asks whether or not he is a medical doctor and he responds with, Yes, I think I was one once, Polly. I think I took a degree once in Glasgow in 1888, I think. so <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a trout and answer. Maybe. Right? So I, I always thought that was really cool because, you know, he's called the doctor. We know the premise, you know, with, with what it says on the police box about that that's his job, that he, he feels like he needs to go out and fix things. And there's a big debate on whether or not he's a meddler or whether or not he's the doctor. And we actually have, you know, in the classic series, Troughton saying that, no, I, I did, I did go to school once for it, but then it's never mentioned again, which I think is just brilliant. 
Well, um, it's one of those things because Hartnell says I'm not a doctor of medicine. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the doctor's inconsistent as he is on a lot of things. Well, and Tom used to pull out a stethoscope or whatever he had in his pockets. You know, he had the endless pockets when he was the doctor anyway. So right. that's pretty awesome. That's I cool. I kind of like how they handled that in New Who where they, I think it was River Song who said you get the the doctor, the concept of the doctor and the healer actually comes from the doctor, that he was the origin of our our concept of what a doctor is, what a healer is. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it's interesting, you know, because, you know, the doctor means many things in on different worlds. And that's why they built an army against him (laughs) to go up against him at one point. That's pretty awesome. Great first one. Great. Nathan, what do you got? Okay, so um, everybody loves Patrick Troughton, right? Of course. Um, so the way that he originally wanted to play the doctor was to go out in blackface wearing an earring and a turban and to act like a pirate. Thankfully, I, the, this is the episode. Oh, wow. That was a bad choice. No. Yes, this is I on the record. <laughs> so, I yeah, that's that another that. one where I think the show missed the bullet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoa. He, he said later he was just joking, but We we got his cosmic hobo uh, performance after that, Mm -hmm. so much better. (laughs) Wow, that could have been really interesting. Yeah, I don't (laughs) think that would have. I don't think that kind of performance would have inspired Matt Smith in quite the same way. No, No. well, I would have continued, you know, to the you know to our time. Nope, most definitely not. No, no, and it's interesting because. Each doctor, when they come in, they come in with their preconceived, you know, how they want to play the doctor and everything. It was all, it's funny because, like, I remember seeing a special before Sylvester, you know, appeared as the doctor for the first time. And he came out, he had the little hat on already and everything. And the, the person was interviewing him and said, so do you know how you want to be portrayed as the doctor? He popped the hat off, rolled it down his arms. He had spoons in his hand. Oh, I have no idea how I'm going to be as the doctor. <laughs> it's like right there. It's pretty awesome. Was that on 11 Alive here in Atlanta? Yes, yeah, it was. Yes, I saw he was at he, he was at Emory University. For the uh, Whovent, 87. Uh, exactly. Yes, so I was there. That was really cool. That, that was really awesome. Yeah, he was. Just, he's just such a great guy anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. cool. Awesome. Rob, what do you got? Uh, well, uh, going on uh, how Trump wanted to portray his doctor, Colin Baker, his uh, the way he wanted to portray the doctor was he wanted to come out dressed out in blackface. No, I'm just kidding. He actually had wanted his costume to be more like how Eccleston's came with, with the black jacket and uh, and the, the jumper. But it was the BBC that made him do the uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat. And uh, when Eccleston was announced as the doctor and they, they released pictures, uh, Colin said that that's the costume I wanted for my doctor. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I've heard that also. Yeah, poor Colin yeah. just could not yeah. catch a break. Well, <laughs> Colin's doctor was also, they were doing something pretty unique with, because they were doing the long run with Collins Baker, because he was a doctor, a t- he was basically regeneration gone wrong. 
and he basically was cooking the whole time and what they had planned on the next season if the show hadn't gone on hiatus and they came back with trial of the time lord was then he would be fully cooked and be the doctor that you were fully expecting the normal not trying to choke his companion type doctor so it was pretty awesome and I think you got that more with the Big Finish audios with him. Yes. Than... Oh, yeah. He's really good in Big Finish. Oh, he's great. Because a, lo- a lot of polls that you have with co- about who's your favorite doctor, Colin is always usually at the bot towards the bottom of that list. Yeah, which is shame, really because he's such a great actor. Oh, he is. He is. Yes. And he's so definitely. Mr. Mike Gordon, what do you got? Um, I always find it interesting that. Um, especially since we think that you mentioned before that the BBC is like, you know, they got the rights to the the police box so they can control the TARDIS. But when Dr. Who was first, uh, you know, conceived and for the, like for the first few years, they uh, did not retain copyrights for almost anything else they created. Like they would allow the writers of those episodes to create monsters or creatures or characters. And the BBC did not, uh, like have those characters control of those. Uh, like for example, the Daleks is the most you know obvious example because Terry Nation created the Daleks. Right. And Terry Nation can do whatever he wants with the Daleks. Only the design of the Daleks is controlled by the BBC. So you know it's kind of a two way street where they can't really do anything out like separate from each other. The Terry Nation estate and the BBC. But uh, together they can, you know, they can do stuff together with the Daleks. So you can see stuff with the Daleks outside of Doctor Who, uh, but the same way with K-9. K-9 was co-created by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, who hold the rights. They still hold the rights. Um, And that's why K-9 had his own show, his own TV special, uh, et cetera. And they keep thinking, you know, we keep seeing uh, K-9 is going to have further adventures. Um, And Brig. Brigadier is uh, also not owned by the BBC. Um, I did not know that. That one I did not know. Yeah. Uh, that's why, um, you know, recently when he was referred to uh, in that, uh, you know, Cybermen story, uh, yeah. the estate, uh, like, filed filed a lawsuit and said, this is not right. You can't use him this way. Um, and I think that was pretty much crushed uh like it's quieted down i think the bbc paid them off or whatever but um yeah it's really interesting that like a lot of those so a lot of times when you want to you know for our longtime fans when they want to see classic characters come back or classic creatures come back monsters that kind of it's not as easy as they can just write it in because the bbc doesn't own a lot of that stuff or just control it if something was a concept that was come up with by the BBC and then handed off to a writer like the master, right? That you can use the master because of that. But yeah, anything that the writer came up with. So the Yeti and the Brigadier are part of the Heisman and Lincoln estate, you know, and the Daleks are part of the Nation estate. And Terry Nation tried for the longest time to create a Dalek television series where the Daleks would stand on their own. But it's one of those things. He had this really valuable property, but it was completely worthless outside of Doctor Who. He could never get anything done with them outside of Who. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why, like, through every Dalek story, it's almost every Dalek story in the classic era is written by Terry Nation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it's, why, it's why a lot of them are so similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did, you know, did you know that Ridley Scott was originally going to design the Dalek design for the TV show? Oh, wow. 
because he used to work for the BBC at the time and right. he ended up leaving to follow his, you know, career and do things like Blade Runner and Alien, and, you know, and move on. But wouldn't it, I wonder what it would have looked like if he had built it. You know what I mean? Like, would it have been different? Would it, what would what would it look like? Would it have been more clunky? And It, it would have had a second Dalek stock coming out of the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little tiny one. It just well, burst through. Well, right. You also know the Daleks almost didn't happen either because, mm-hmm. you know, when the series started, they didn't want bug-eyed monsters and such. Yep. Sydney Newman did not want that. No, Sydney was just like, nope, no, no Daleks, no monsters, nothing. I don't want anything like this. This is a kid show. This is about history. We're going to travel through time, everything like that. And he was like, but then when they saw him on set, they were like, I think we might have something here. <laughs> so, but, I mean, what would it be without monsters? I mean, monsters are so crucial, you know. Some of the best episodes, even from my opinion, have some sort of monster in it of some kind. Oh, sure. He was really concerned. He was really concerned about having B-movie plots. Because, you know, the 60s, there's lots of those B-movies out there. That's mm-hmm. what he didn't want. He didn't want to rely on the monsters. And he was afraid if they used monsters, they would rely on the monsters. And at least in the 60s, in those early 60s episodes, Verity Lambert was always like, no, the story's at the heart of it. This is about these guys who have been mutated, and they're at war with this other group, and now that group's pacifist, and, you know, there's the whole story to it, you know. And uh, and so yeah, once once of course the viewing figures came in, he was like, okay, Verity, you know better than I do, like what's going on with that show. And they say that after that point, you know, second serial, like Sidney Newman basically stepped out, except for the few times he had to step in, like when they were doing regeneration and a few things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. he let her take the show. Yeah, that's nope. uh, that's something when I was looking up uh, Doctor Who. You know, you look up Doctor Who on Wikipedia, and it says created by Sidney Newman. C. Weber and Donald Wilson. And I'm like, where's Verity's name in this? And it's a shame because, uh, you know, I think technically she's not, you know, listed as a creator, which is unfortunate. But I think one of the things that 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 movie Adventures in Time and Space did was show how important she was to the franchise. Not only did it show like, was it really cool to see like Hartnell and his experience with it? But I think on the flip side, the other thing that, that that documentary did, or not documentary, but that special did, was to show how important she was. Yeah, oh, Wilson, much so. Wilson, Weber, and Newman came up with the concept, and that's why she's not listed as a creator. But she was the one who took it from concept to screen. And so, yeah, that's where her Andy, I mean, Morris Hussein deserves credit, too. I mean, that's what was so great about the show is, like, these were two people who were on the outs at the BBC. You know, a woman and a man of Indian descent. And, you know, I think that they, because they knew that they had to prove something, you know, in that environment, because it was an old boys club, you know, I think that's why so much effort was put into what was supposed to be a kid show. Well, exactly. Yeah, they understood the outsider's perspective, and then that greatly influenced the show. Well, exactly, and the show almost didn't get on because of the Kennedy assassination. It was delayed delayed. for five minutes, right? Yeah, that's why there's two versions of the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. So, there you go. Spoilers. I, I, I think Spoiler. I think I think those both exist, right? Those you can still. Those are both yeah. on the yes. DVD. If you right? if you get the DVD of an unearthly child, it has both versions up yeah. there. They, they wiped all sorts of other stuff, but <laughs> we, have, have, we have that. <laughs> okay, Mary, what do we got? 
Well, actually, kind of talking about the same, uh, the era, the beginning of Doctor Who, uh, the early script writers for Doctor Who were separated into people who could write for the historicals and people who could write for the future. And they were not allowed to, to cross over. And, uh, and they found that um, when they would give they would give writers the future stories and the writers would think, oh, this will be easy. I can make up whatever I want. But they had to really tightly rein them in because they they would come up with concepts that were so far afield that it would detract from the story. And I just found that really interesting that, that they, they stratified it like that, that they separated them. I mean, you just wouldn't think of that today. No, it's uh, totally different. The way shows are made are totally different now with a showrunner and a room full of writers all working together. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then it was so isolated. Right. Yep. You were on exactly. Earth, basically. It was a necessity that came out from the fact that they had to make episodes so quickly after the scripts came in that they were like, we have to basically specialize the writers. So that's because I'm actually I'm actually reading a history of Doctor Who right now. And they're talking about that. It was a decision that they came to just because they were getting behind. And when stories fell through, it was like we only have two weeks and we need a whole serial done in the script, you know, in our hands. And so that that's why they did that. Okay, that's awesome. All right. Here's one for you. Do you guys know that Amy Pond was not originally supposed to be a companion for the 11th Doctor? I didn't know that. Yep. He, really? she, no, Amy Pond was originally supposed to be a companion to David Tennant's Doctor. Oh, and, wow. Yep, because originally, originally Tennant was not supposed to be leaving Doctor Who before he announced it, and they had already announced that Moffat was going to be the new showrunner. And so they had Moffat had already created this huge storyline that basically in the very first episode of the eleventh season of the next season where was the now the eleventh hour, which was season number five. Yep. Uh the tenth doctor at the beginning of the story crashes like the, like in the episode, and the doctor actually regenerates, starts regenerating at the very beginning of the story and Amelia Pond finds him and, you know, are you okay and everything? And he says, I got to get away from you. I'm about to change and everything. And you're like going, what the heck happened? And he goes away and, you know, I'll be back, you know, type thing. And she waits for the doctor gets older. And then an older Amy Pond, like we saw, sees the 10th doctor as you know, and he's all healthy and everything. And she goes, doctor, there you are. And I've been waiting for you. And he's like looking at who the heck are you type thing. And she explains what happens. And the whole season was basically going to lead up to the Pandorica episode at the end. And basically uh, he's going to be injured during that episode and regenerate at the end of that season Mm. and everything. So it was going to be, Dr. Ten and Amy and possibly Rory, but, you know, going through the adventures <laughs> that, you know, you had. So when Tenet then announced that he was leaving, they basically had to rewrite the whole season. That's why some of the stories, especially the early ones, like The Beast Below and, you know, the Dalek story with the World War II, yeah, it, it felt very like it was a Tenet type okay. story. So, because those were originally written for David as the doctor. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
So it would have been interesting to see the two of them together. And, you know, if she wanted to snog that, that doctor also. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why not? Why not? So. That's true. All right. Let's go to the next round. Mr. Mike Gordon, what do you got? Um, well, I like to follow the, uh, the Doctor Who comics. Uh, they don't get much love, uh, but uh, uh, at least not compared to like the show or the the big Finnish adventures or the novels or anything. So um, the uh, the Doctor Who comics have been around since almost the uh, you know the original series. Um, they started in uh, it says like 1964. Mm-hmm. So uh, they've been around just as long. Uh, they've gone through a lot of iterations. Uh, they were mostly found in uh, a weekly comicology called TV Comic. And then they made the transition to Doctor Who Weekly. Uh, currently, um, they are uh, in the hands of Titan Comics, uh, which is a British t- comic company. Um, there's a lot of differences between, you know, the British rights for the comics and the American rights and all that. Uh, there was a period of time where Doctor Who was uh, put out by Marvel Comics, so they were there were there were no crossovers though. That was the time when Marvel owned like they were coming out with like GI Joe and ha- they would they had that working relationship with Hasbro, and they was doing Transformers and GI Joe and and uh, I think uh, Rom the Space Knight and all that. But and they crossed over with the heroes all the time. Micronauts crossed over with Spider Man, all that kind of stuff. But Doctor Who they kind of left separate, so there's not any sort of Doctor Who meets Spider-Man or Fantastic Four, which would have been really, really awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the Doctor has crossed over with anything, any superheroes that I can think of. So, Not a superhero, but a character named Death's Head. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. That's true. And, and the yes. fact that Death's Head met other Marvel characters means, by extension, the Doctor is part of the Marvel <laughs> Yeah, it's one of the separation, right? <laughs> there was also uh, an issue of Power Man and Iron Fist that had uh, uh, the the two guys fighting robots who were supposed to be from a television series, mm-hmm. and to escape from at one point, they run into a shop that's mysteriously bigger on the inside and mm-hmm. has a very eccentrically dressed shop owner who uh, has a sonic device to fight these robots, and then the shop disappears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just read that issue last year. I was reading a huge run of uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, and I was like, "Oh, somebody's a Doctor Who fan because they looked like Daleks." They didn't say exterminate; they said something else, like eradicate. You yeah. know, and, and and yeah, there was the the building that was bigger on the inside than it was on the outside. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. That is awesome. There used to be a connection between the Doctor Who magazine, the comics, and the novels, but uh, in 1996, when the Doctor Who TV movie came out. They uh, the comic like um, they 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 split ties like they cut ties between the novels and the comics. And actually, in the comics, they killed Ace. Whoa! Yeah, so, wow. so yeah, they 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 killed Ace in uh, in 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 forming its own continuity there. So. Non wow. That's well, wrong. Well, in in the comics back then, they also had one of my favorite companions. And you have to be introduced to, of course, Frobisher the Penguin. Yes, of course. Who, who <laughs> is one of the best characters ever in Doctor Who. And, uh, base, and it's cool because Frobisher also did make it into Big Finish. So yes. it's 
pretty awesome. And Furbisher is a shape changer. Uh, basically, he was a detective hired to, you know, go after the doctor. And he found out that the doctor actually was a really good guy and, you know, decided to join up with him. And he just happened to take a shape of a penguin on an adventure. And he liked <laughs> being as a penguin. Yeah, of course. As, a, as any shape changer does. As you do. Yes, exactly. And he just stayed as a penguin, which is pretty damn awesome. But yeah, also, in the, if you remember in the comics, in the new, in the Titan series, the Doctor actually had a Tyrannosaurus Rex robot mm-hmm. as one of his companions. Yeah, I like the, the, the comics I like because they could do things like that. They're not afraid to really stretch like the companions. And, and you know, you don't have to have a typical companion um, that you would be, you know, marketable for a TV series, right? You can take some more chances. You can take some more risks like that. Um, and then just like the, the, with the show, the other days of the show, the thing is, if they, if the comics create a character a companion or whatever, a villain, uh, the comics kind of own the producer, the people who produce that comic own the rights to that character. So doc, they can't, it's harder to bring them back in a like regular doctor who continuity. Mm-hmm. So even though like, you know, they can mention names, uh, of, of comic characters and, or even big finish characters, in the series, it doesn't mean that they're actually, like, really legally tied in. No. A lot of people's heads exploded during the 50th anniversary. Yep, that's what, that was exactly what I was thinking of, the 8th yeah. Doctor, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, when he said the names, people, it's like the internet just exploded. It's canon! Oh, my God! You know, it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, Which Big Finish pretty- was like, yes, we exist! Uh, but- We're here! Yeah, we're not going to, yeah, there's certainly Big Finish is not going to, like, do anything to, to spoil its relationship with the BBC, so. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, Tara, what do you got? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, there was a, a, a short comic in uh, Doctor Who, the comics, uh, with the Eighth Doctor, where he goes into a bar and meets this bartender named Bish, and they start talking, they don't recognize each other. It turns out Bish is Frobisher, but he has a, he's taken the shape of a human. And of course, the doctors regenerated a couple of times, so they see each other and they talk to each other, but they have no idea that they just ran into each other again. Oh, that's wow. awesome! That's, that's fun. Great. I hear that. That's pretty cool. That is awesome. Cool. All right, Carol. Um, one of the things that I love about Doctor Who is the fact that there's weird inspirations for things, for episodes, for you know whatever it is. And one of my favorites is the Weeping Angels, like where the concept of the Weeping Angels came from. It actually comes from a children's game called what, What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? Which is a lot like Tag. It's played a lot like Tag, where um, it was came out of Belgium, was played in the United States, it's got a lot of different, na- different names, um, like what's the, What Time Is It, Mr. Fox?, played in Australia and Canada. Um, I don't know where in the United States it's played. I've never heard of it before. And the premise of the game is that one person is Mr. Wolf and he covers his face up and the other kids, as he's got his face covered, will run away and he'll call out, they'll, they'll say all at once, what time is it, Ms., you know, Mr. Wolf? And he'll say a time like five o'clock and they all have to take five steps away and all at once say each number. So we'll say one, two, three, four, five. 
and their goal is to find somebody and capture them, then they become Mr. Wolf, which so it's like a really complicated peekaboo slash tag <laughs> that was used as inspiration for one of the scariest creatures in Doctor Who, uh, the Weeping Angel, that people forget the reason why it's scary is not because of what it looks like, but the fact that it will grow inside of your brain. Okay. Inside of its brain. Exactly. Well, Moffat, Moffat just made you scared of everything anyway. Yeah, you he know, he turned anything did, into a monster. Yeah, exactly. He just like, <laughs> literally, you know, he basically made you scared of, you know, gas masks, made you scared of, you know, shadows. He Now he makes you scared of, sh- you know, it's just, you know, statues. It's just, it's just awesome, you know, and Stephen... I hate you for it. I hate you for it. (laughs) I I don't like scared at all. And that episode, Link got me. And really, I mean, it messed me up for a couple of days and a few nightmares. So I thought it was fascinating that this comes from a children's game. Like, who would have have thought of that? Like, only Moffat's brain would have come up with something like that. You know, what else is interesting about Link is that Moffat was actually supposed to write the Daleks in Manhattan two-parter. Oh, and, thank uh, God. I know. But because of, of work commitments, he couldn't do it. So he just, he volunteered to do the Dr. Light episode and he adapted one of his short stories and that was Blink. Oh, that is awesome. Well, that on the other awesome. side of that though, the Manhattan one might've been better. Well, yes, almost <laughs> anything could have made it better. No. <laughs> No way. Uh, I don't. I don't think anybody could save that one. I don't. Really, I think if Neil Gaiman even did that one, I don't think he could have saved it. When I heard about a half-human, half-Dalek creature, all I could think of about was Pirates of the Caribbean. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, he's gonna look awesome. <laughs> He's going to look so cool. And then... Oh, he's going to have the tentacles. And... <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what I thought of. I was like, he's going to look at that. They're, they're going to do it. It's going to be great. And then it was just like the air just like went out of the room. I just... <laughs> I walked away. BBC. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Thanks, BBC. Like, you missed the opportunity to make something wow. look really cool. And it looks really late. <laughs> that sounds about right. Mary, what do you got? Well, I actually, my favorite doctor in the classic series is the second doctor. And, um, and you know how we always like to make fun of the production values? Well, in Fury, what? In, Never. Uh, I, in Fury of the Deep, for, I'm sorry, Fury from the Deep, which mm-hmm. is the second doctor story, there's a scene where they're supposed to be in a real helicopter, and the BBC sprung for a real helicopter. And, uh, however, the pilot went out to a bar the night before oh, no. and got completely trashed, including downing a crate of champagne and ending up swinging from the chandelier, which then fell from the ceiling on him. But he shows up to work the next day to fly the helicopter. Oh, geez. And Patrick Troughton says, no way am I getting in that thing. So they had to cut out the helicopter, but they still, they needed a flying scene. So the director had to quickly come up with something. So what he did was he put a cameraman in a baby buggy 
and he whirled the, whirled the cameraman, pushed him around in circles around them, trying to create an effect of them flying in the helicopter. I did not know this. Wow. Because <laughs> I know they did the helicopter, they ended up using the helicopter in Enemy of the World. So, also in the invasion, they used the helicopter. Yeah, true. So. I guess the guy was trying to make up got, for they it. They probably had a different pilot, I'm guessing. <laughs> I would say so. Wow. Oh, jeez. Now, I've heard stories about that happening quite a bit on early Doctor Who, but it's interesting there. All right, Nathan, what do you got? All right, so um, most people associate the third Doctor with Bessie as his vehicle, the Yellow Roadster, but oh, he cool. had another vehicle, which was the this... Who-mobile. The mobile that's right. <laughs> it looks like this... Uh, it's, it's supposed to be a futuristic car. It's got wings and everything, but what you might not know is that this was not the, the showrunner's idea. This was something John Pertwee had created himself to his specifications, um, it had a working television in the dash. Um, it complied with all British laws as far as a roadworthy vehicle, so he could drive it down the street. And, uh, in fact, he says that he was stopped by policemen a lot who didn't believe him, and he would have to show them all the things that it complies with so that they would put him on his way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but then he showed it off to the producer and was basically like, you know, hey, this is this great car. You know, let me use it in the show. So that's why you see it in uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs and Planet of Spider. And in that second story, they actually, uh, through CSO, uh, let it fly. So uh, it's flying car, the Who-Mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just love the fact that he was so into the character that he's like, I'm going to design my own Who-Mobile. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. They let him I do th- a lot of things that last season because that was mm-hmm. his last season. That's why he was able to pilot a, a hovercraft. That's why mm-hmm. he had the helicopter. Oh, yeah, there's that whole episode of Planet of Spiders that is just one long chase scene where he gets to pilot every... uh, Yeah, there's a helicopter, hovercraft, car, the Who-mobile fly. Oh, yeah. There was times, you know, with the third Doctor, you didn't know where he stopped and the actor began and the actor began and the Doctor started, you know. And I always heard that they took a lot of, especially in early you know, Pertwee stories, a lot of the stories and the action and stuff was from his experiences in World War II because he was a spy and during World War II and he, you know, he answered right to Winston Churchill. So it was pretty awesome. So that's pretty cool. All right. Who hasn't gone in a bit? Mikey. All right, Rob, what do you got? All right. Well, we all know, or we may not know, that Tom Baker, who's the fourth doctor of Lala Ward, yes, I was, she was going to pop up in this uh, somehow, uh, who was the second Ramana, they were married at one point. Well, oh, they, yeah. weren't, they weren't the first uh, marriage between uh, Doctor Who actors. Uh, John Pertwee was actually married to Jean Marsh at one really? point. Yes. In fact, that was his first wife. And... Um, Carolyn John, who played uh, uh, Dr. Liz Shaw, the third Doctor's first companion, was married to Jeffrey Beavers, who played uh, one of the iterations of the Master. Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. Wow, I didn't know that. Who now does the Master, of course, on audio for Big Finish. Yes. Wow. That is awesome. I, I knew the Gene Marsh part, but I didn't know the other. 
That is awesome. Wow. See, and, you know, because you could tell in the scenes in Tom and Lila's last season where they've already split up and they don't want to even look at each other in the face. <laughs> they, it's like, it's like yeah. oh, you could tell they don't even want to be in the scene. They are not together. happy. No. And it's like, Romana, I'm talking to you. She's like, oh, what, doctor? No. <laughs> By the way, and Mike, so, it's, it's Lala. If I, if I don't correct you, she's never going to call me back. Oh, okay. Lala Ward. <laughs> Lala Ward, yes. Lala Ward. There we go. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I'm sure we could keep on going for quite some time. Let's thank the folks from Brit Tracks for letting us talk and talk about facts and everything. Caro and, of course, Rob, thank you so, so much. Nathan, thank you, you want to promote your podcast real quick? Yeah, so I'm the host of the 42 cast, which is your ultimate answer to fandom geekiness and everything. Uh, I have a rotating uh, cast of people that come on the show to talk about just about any topic in comics, novels, TV, movies, uh, you know, just about any kind of media. So uh, check us out. That's awesome. And on behalf of myself, Mike Gordon, Mary Ogle, we do a bi-weekly podcast called the Earth Station Who Podcast. It's a Doctor Who podcast where we go through talking about big finish, comics, books, and, of course, the series. And if there's ever Doctor Who news and new series, we will review it. So that so basically you're going to be hearing us talking about novels, Doctor Who books, big finish, and old episodes <laughs> for quite some time. Yeah, on it's this been series. a long time <laughs> since we've had news. So you can find us wherever fine podcasts are found or as part of the ESO network. And we will also be having the earthstationwho.com coming very soon to a house and website near you. So yeah. thanks guys. Thanks so much everybody for everything. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, for you guys being here for earth station who, um, you can find the Brit track at dragon con on various uh, social media platforms. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are also on Instagram as well as we have a YouTube channel that we will be airing a lot of our content over the course of the virtual 2020 show. So thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next time. We love you, Brit Tracks. Bye. You have been listening to Earth Station Who, a bi-weekly pop culture podcast dedicated to all things Doctor Who, featuring talents from across the universe. All topics on the show are the sole opinions of the individual and are used for entertainment value alone. You can subscribe to our podcast up on iTunes, Stitcher, or follow our blog at www.esopodcast.com. You can also follow us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. If you enjoyed the show, please leave feedback up on iTunes. What's new on the 42 cast? Let's ask my co-hosts. We're talking about Doctor Who. Comic book shows and movies. And we're talking about all things Star Trek. (laughs) And so much more. Check us out on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. It's only on the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. So Nathan, when are we finally talking Babylon 5? This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. 
The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.